Hello, and welcome to Traeger Method Podcast, Episode 7. Today, I am talking with Martin again, Martin Sprouse. We talk about meeting Pete, our last guest. Early trips to the Bay Area. We talk about Beefeater, the band from D.C., their first trip out west. characters in that band. We met Joe Lally from Fugazi. He, he later would become the bass player of Fugazi. We met him on that trip. He was the roadie for Beefeater. Scott Kelly from Neurosis comes up. His early band before Neurosis is, is mentioned. Scott was a San Diego guy before he became a Bay Area guy. In case you didn't know. Like I said, early trips to Max from Rock and Roll House. We met Pusshead there. We talk about him. We talk about the first Maximum Rock and Roll compilation that uh, actually the first issue of the magazine was released with this compilation, Not So Quiet on the Western Front, the double LP. Talk about that and the photos on the back of it. We get into some minutiae. We dissect the difference between quote-unquote peace punk and crust punk that would the crust would later form on peace punk. Talk about that kind of stuff. A lot of stuff you'll be interested in. If you're 50 years old and you're missing your friends, because I mean, essentially, I don't know who else. Why would you? It doesn't matter why you want to listen to it. I'm just glad you are listening to it. Enjoy another conversation with Martin Sprouse. So before, okay, so you started recording already. (laughs) Okay, ready. (laughs) Um, All right, so is there anything in Pete's episode that you were struck by or that you wanted to comment on? No, just that Pete's a funny guy. That's right. I do you know about the verbal assault curse, right? And me, um, I'm not allowed to see verbal assault anymore. Well, I don't think anyone's allowed to. (laughs) Well, (laughs) yeah, fair enough. But um, Pete's convinced that I only saw the worst verbal assault shows ever. You you always caught their very worst performances. Always. And he just wouldn't let me go to them after a while because if I was there, they were going to play really bad. I had that when I did stand-up comedy. I had that with a few different people who saw me perform every single... They saw me like four times, and each time it was just a total bomb. And they were really scratching their heads as to how I had any quote-unquote success ever in that field. But uh, just bad And it feels shitty being that person because you don't... You just... You're not... You know, like, I didn't want to have a bad... have them have a bad experience. They don't, those people in the audience didn't want you have a bad comedy thing, you know, it's just but, chance, yeah. you know, it's, it's performance. Yeah, but, it's a, it's a grab bag that not every night's going to be great. But Pete banned me from like their first show in San Francisco when they played the on Broadway. Mm-hmm. And it was a weird ass show because it's, it's like, it started in the afternoon, but it seemed like they started at 10 in the morning. It was like crazy. And they were like the first band. And when the on Broadway was empty, everything seemed like the stage seemed like it was 10 feet tall when it really wasn't. It was just kind of those weird things. And 
and those guys being pretty small little guys up on the stage and they were doing their thing and you know and it's good to see them then pete i think it was towards the end of the set i don't know maybe it was in the middle of the set he he gets really into it and he does a really like a good you know 1985 hardcore jump yeah pete had that good jump form where he put both his legs yeah. up under his knees yeah Yep. Skateboarder. You can tell. And he, and he, he just looked good. The guitar was in the right place and he just had, you know, and he did this jump, but he pulled forward and his cord between his guitar and his amp was a little shorter than he expected. And he pulled his whole amplifier stack straight down into the stage and smashed down on the stage. Smash. Marshall half stack face first on the stage. There you go. Not something you want as a... Especially as a touring band. (laughs) Still laughing about it. It was really funny. And I mean, Pete handled it really well. Like he does all that kind of stuff, but it was pretty amazing. It was was a little bit surprising. And that was his only jump he did. You know, that was the first time you met Pete. Was that this, this tour, this. Yeah. Yeah. So that was like when, yeah. When you guys had thrown together some dates or you had put together some West coast dates because they were in Reno, like you guys were talking about last time and you came out to the maximum house right yeah um and i remember the first time meeting pete is i don't even think i knew you guys were showing up because i i think it was just kind of a spontaneous thing that you were traveling with him up and down the west coast and i didn't really know anything about it yeah that's I think right I came, I came home from work and there's a bunch of people in the maximum house and i was just like oh and then i see you and it's like really great and I see this little kid running around with bunny ears on his head, running around the Maxim house. We had brought a child with us. So who brought their kid to the Maxim house? I mean, it was really funny. He was a happy little kid and that was sweet. You know, and I don't, I don't got anything against kids, but I just like, that's just kind of a weird thing. You just didn't really see that many toddlers or, you know, little kids, young kids. Yeah. Pete looked and, like he was about uh, <laughs> 10 years old. It was Pete. It was Pete Kramiak. And he did... Like he'd been graduated from high school for like 10 minutes. His testicles still looked, hadn't dropped. He's so young, crazy young. That's like why he happy. was always, that's why he was always doing that jump. He was trying to get his testicles to drop. <laughs> Is that what it was? <laughs> <laughs> wonder if it worked. <laughs> he's got two but kids, so. Something worked. Yeah. Okay. But anyways, it was really funny, but that was the first time I met Pete and it wasn't, it was just like, I hadn't just no idea who he was, but he was running around with bunny ears and I'm not really sure what that was about, but he was really obviously very funny when he was 10 years old and he's very funny now. So yeah, yeah that first was time. a fun tour. I realized um, after putting together that, uh, that story with him that, cause I remember him, st- them, them staying at my mom's house in Lucadia. And I realized yeah, that it was on that trip there. that we had driven down there together and that I wasn't living there at the time I was living in Reno yeah. and we drove down and stayed with my mom and yeah. family in, in San Diego on that trip. And so that's how that came to pass. Yeah, and I was also remembering this amazing story about you. You guys played Fenders. You drove to Long Beach and played Fenders and that you got in a fight with Gary Tovar in the back room about payment for verbal assault. They weren't. He wasn't going to give them their guarantee that he had promised over the phone to you because at this point you were their default manager because you were I was with- I was the strong arm 17-year-old manager of the band just saying listen Tovar 
finger, <laughs> finger on his chest. Give me that cash. No, I, I do. I do vaguely remember that sitting under the fluorescent lights in his office in Fender's, yeah. and he had said something like, "So we said five hundred, didn't we?" And I was like, seven fifty or something like that. Yeah, yeah. I have yeah, no idea like- what the actual figures were, but but yeah, and I and I ended up getting the 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 larger amount and felt like I was a real rock and roll pro. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I do remember that story. You, do you remember that show? Who played that show? You know, no, I don't. I want to say Uniform Choice, Agnostic Front, but I yeah. don't. You know, I don't remember. No. no, that's right. Was it a crazy show? Like, was it a crazy Fender show? I certainly. I'd imagine. I don't have any memory you know, of there the show. Of it's fights. Like, you remember, it's, like, it's, there was a show at Fender's. So yeah, there had to be a lot of fights. <laughs> crazy. I don't know. remember if you remember Verbal Assault, like stopping and or doing anything like that or anything. No, no. I, you know, it's it's funny with with most punk memories. I don't remember much about individual shows. It's unless there's something um, really of note, um, yeah. you know, or some scene that was really spectacular uh, performance or whatever. But typically, the shows are the least memorable thing of those yep. memories. It's the stuff around them that sticks out in my mind. I know. I, I just posted. I just posted together. today about the Cramps, Telltale Hearts, Red Hot Chili Peppers yeah. show. And yeah. that's one of those shows where the show itself does stand out in my mind greatly. Yeah, we talked about that already, did we? I think we, did, right? we talked about that on an episode that got ditched. Really? Oh, wow. I oh, don't yeah, know. A- Maybe we, I should find out before if we, because yeah, we, we can talk about amazing. it again. Yeah, yeah, but that was a great show. That was an amazing, memorable show. show. Yeah. I hope you didn't ditch that episode. Let me know. We can touch I don't base. Know. Wasn't wasn't there an episode that got trashed for some reason? It, it sounded so yeah. bad. That was it. Yeah. Yeah. Technical things. Yeah. It was yeah. just glitches and and popping and all kinds of stuff. Yeah. So I just ditched the whole thing altogether. And I think we talked about it on that episode. And yeah. you know, I you don't really care <laughs> if we repeat the story. Because oh, there's a glitch right there. Bam. Uh, yeah. What was that? I heard that. Yeah. Um, just, I'm over it. <laughs> okay. Uh, but yeah, you don't mind if we repeat. Let's, let's not talk about that show right now. Just, just in case. Okay, um, so you and, do mind if we repeat. All right. Yeah. Let's just stay with what we've been talking about. Like, okay. Reno but and blending, Pete and blending shows in together. I mean, that was funny when I was thinking about the verbal assault show, thinking about them playing on Broadway, like at 10 in the morning. I thought that was when they, I thought they, played with Beefeater when Beefeater came out. But that's a completely different show at a different time, different daytime show where yeah. the same thing was, there weren't a lot of people there because not a lot of people knew Beefeater when they came out that one summer. Okay, that, that one yeah. time. Okay, but I came out, right? excuse me, I, I came, oh, that was Seven Seconds and Beefeater. So that's why I, we all drove out to San Francisco together. Yes. And that's I was the whole like, different thing. Mm-hmm. Exactly. That's right. why I'm confusing the two because Seven Seconds came out with Beefeater because Beefeater first came to, did they first come to? Yeah. They first came to Reno, right? Yeah, they pulled into Reno and they stayed with us for a while. And Joe Lally, bassist of Fugazi, was also soon to be bassist of Fugazi, was with them on his first tour, like, you know, as a roadie for them. And he had very long hair and he was a super uh, great guy. And I remember (laughs) pulling a prank on them. I don't know if you'd call it a prank. It was more like performance art. But, uh, I had this, Kevin and I had finished this bottle of soy sauce and it was sitting on the counter. And for some reason, I just uh, had this idea that I would fill it with, we had a some flat Coca-Cola and I poured the flat Coca-Cola into the <laughs> soy sauce bottle and put it in the refrigerator. And then 
when the beef eater guys were sitting around, we were all hanging out. I, I just matter of factly pulled it out of the refrigerator and uh, proceeded to guzzle the entire bottle in front of them. Right. <laughs> and they were, and without making a deal about it, you know, it wasn't like, look what I'm going to yeah. do. I just did it. Like it was just the most perfectly normal thing. And they were all just watching going, what's what, 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 what what's going on? And, and then they were like, you don't really that. And Kevin was like, what? Oh yeah. He does that. He drinks like three of those a day. And they powers those down. They were all, they were all just, just sitting with their mouths open, just like, do you know how much sodium is in one of those bottles? Yeah. I'm like, yeah, I, those I find ones. it quenching. Yeah, <laughs> they were so health conscious guys. I mean, yeah, because I remember when they came into the Maxim Rock and Roll House, that was the first band I saw bring in not only their own food but their own like raw ingredients for food. Like just yeah, it, like I always say, it's, it looked like a bulk bin at a really kind of traditional hippie food co-op thing. They you know, were just- a very food co-op punk band. Yeah. Yeah. Very like, I mean, I think I know for a fact that Doug the bass player, Doug, I think Doug and Tomas yeah. both worked at, uh, what was it called glut? Was that the DC? Glut. Yeah. 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 You're right. I think that was, that was their co-op. I'm sure they both came from that world and it, it made sense. They were touring. And they did that. But that was the first time. You just didn't see that with bands, you know? Not a lot. Milk no. crate after milk crate after milk crate of like everything. And also those guys, they were, I don't know if think all of them. I just think those two dudes were vegans, you know, back yeah, in the were, 80s. It wasn't as definitely. easy to find food back then. But that no, was a pretty amazing. Oh, God. That is something that I can, I can speak of from experience. Like touring the country in the 80s. Like the idea of like trying to get decent food in America in the eighties, like nowadays there's a whole foods in every city at every town, you know, there's, yeah. I mean, you can find. And the vegan the, food is better than the, the non-vegan food at this point in many cities, you know, like seriously. Yeah. But I mean, back, back then, Oh my God, there was, I mean, we literally lived on like French fries and grilled cheese sandwiches from Denny's. That was like the yeah. closest to like a vegetarian meal you could get. And yeah. grocery stores, you know, in the Midwest, there's no good food to eat. It was terrible. Yeah. It was hardcore. I know. I was vegan in most of the 80s and traveled around the country. And it was just like, nope, nope, nope. No starving. good food. Yeah, terrible Skinny food. Skinny and starving. Yeah. Speaking <laughs> of a beef eater and, and diet and food, I remember Doug Bird had a uh, tattoo of crossed garlic cloves, like cl- garlic yeah. uh, heads, bulbs with the, with the stems crossed on yeah. his arms. And I remember he told me, <laughs> that he had asked the the tattoo artist to dip the the needle into garlic juice or into a garlic clove uh, so he could put actual garlic in with the ink and the guy just said no way <laughs> very doug thing to do right very very doug very yeah dumb. that was it's interesting when they came out cuz you know even though their album was on discord people didn't really know that much about them or didn't know what to expect i think right they they kind of yeah no and they had their own thing by definitely you know it was that kind of period 85 into 86 87 where punk started going into you know different there was sort of the funk vein yeah they had a little bit of the funk vein in there for sure had some metal in them too they definitely had like guitar yank you know a lot of like wanking guitar there for a while fred yeah fred fred smith right he could play leads yes rest in peace yeah yeah, with his, but they also had their own look too. You know, like oh yeah, I mean, just, Fred. Fred had his uh, motorcycle boots with the metal plates on the front, the big chain belt, 
the Lucite, yeah. Lucite st- clear Stratocaster, not the Dan Armstrong clear guitar, but the Lucite Fender yeah. Strat. Sweetest dude in the world, but had a serious look, always laughing, you know? Oh, and wonderful. Then, All of them were great guys. Then Tomas with his, um, like he had a lot of scars, right? Remember that? He was kind of like, Oh God, I forgot all about that. Yeah. He took his shirt off and he just had scars all over his body from whatever he he was was doing. Super intense guy. I mean, he was very nice and and easygoing. But, um, but yeah, obviously a person on like a major spiritual journey, you know, and a kind of ascetic monk or, or saint kind of vibe, you know, I remember going to the discord house early on and, uh, his, he lived there and his room, the door was open and I just glanced inside and there was just a Mexican kind of blanket on the floor and a (laughs) river rock as a pillow. So river rock as a pillow, like how big was the rock? You know, I don't know how big it was, but just like a smooth stone about the size of a head, you know, a human head. And that was like placed as, as the pillow and nothing else. And the, no, I mean, I don't think the room had a entertainment system in there. Um, it was, <laughs> it was very, it was very monk like. Best channels, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah, and I think the scar- scarification uh, that wasn't really like I don't, I don't, I, don't rem- I barely remember that. And until you just mentioned it, I forgot about yeah. that. But I think I that's all part all of. Yeah, that was what all part of. That was all part of that same. Yeah, because his shirt always came off in every show, and you're just like, "Whoa, that dude has a lot of fucking scars." But he's also a smartass, like all those other DC people. Everybody else, you know. Yeah, DC people seem very serious, but they were all very, very funny. Yeah, very funny. Definitely. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I heard something about that he became involved in the Black Israelites movement, like became kind of a uh, adherent to that. I don't. The know only white would- member in the Black Israelites. Yeah, I don't know if that's really is that the group he joined? I know he's joined I mean that for lack of a better term, joined some other groups or joined groups and has changed his name, but I don't I yeah, don't know. I don't know enough to even I don't I remember stories. there's some story where he was living with somebody else pre Discord or something. He's living with a girl, I forget who it was, and she came home and he had thrown her TV out the window because he could, just couldn't handle it anymore. <laughs> and, just, and she goes, oh. you threw my fucking TV out the window? He goes, yeah, I had to kind of do it. You know, I just had to get out of here. <laughs> Definitely doesn't strike me as a guy who is watching a lot of television. <laughs> I don't think he has Netflix right now, right? Who knows now? I mean, 30 <laughs> years later. Yeah, yeah. So we played at the On Broadway and then 7 Seconds Beefeater played with Das Damen on that same little trip uh, at the uh, New Method not squat but just new method the new method warehouse in emeryville yeah in emeryville which is a city small little city between um berkeley and oakland kind of an outlaw city and it had a lot of at that time it was just kind of industrial wasteland like old oil refinery not oil refinery but chemical plants that are not no longer there just kind of a gnarly thing and they now they've paved over everything and just put in big corporations like ikea and Pixar and everybody got there because they're all they got tax breaks to build there. But is is New Method where it was where Pixar is today? Near Pixar is near. I think it's so weird the geography. I just can't get my head around what it's like there. But I think there where the pack and save grocery store is. I think that's where New Method was, which is like two blocks away. I mean Emeryville is basically you can walk across it in ten minutes. But it's near. It's near. <laughs> it's crazy. The one liquor store is still there, I think, black and white liquor, which uh-huh. was a liquor store near there. 
but where all the punks would go to get there. Yeah. But new method was an amazing new method was an amazing place. I was just punk kids live there. It was started by the crucifix dudes, you know, early eighties. And by the time this show that was happening, those guys weren't there anymore and crucifix wasn't around anymore, but all the, um, next generation or just people from next generation peace punks or people from that scene were there running it. And, you know, they were, they had their shit together too, you know, like Greg and Joe, they both ran a state of mind records and Joe worked at rough trade with Kent Jolly from maximum. And, um, Greg was also in a state of mind and they put on, they had a couple different rooms where they put on shows. They usually had a, this room with a stage, but the, but we're seven seconds in beefy either. It's like an upstairs, upstairs room with like a yeah, with windows, windows kind of looking yeah. out. Over the, yeah, it was like a daytime yeah. show. It was. Yeah, it was. And I don't really remember. I don't remember the history of uh, new method that well, but it was a great place to see shows. And that was, that was a really great show. And like, like you said, Doss Dahlman was in town too at that time, you know, um, God, what was the Dust Dumb and drummer's name? Kyle, uh, Lyle or Kyle? God, from the Misguided, another New mm. York band. Hilarious dudes. And they were kind of doing Paisley kind of garage, yeah. 60s kind of stuff. But they still rocked really good. And they played there. And then East, who opened? Was it Christ on Parade or Neurosis? Some East I'm going to say band. Christ on Parade. I'm almost certain that that's who it was. Barry from Christ on Parade. And I'm thinking it was Neurosis, but whatever. Yeah. But there's, yeah, there were some. I think Scott Kelly lived there at New Method. Scott Kelly, guitarist for Neurosis, who's also from San Diego. Also from San Diego. Scott Kelly. uh, Yeah. I I had my my very first impressions of him was as the guy with the leather jacket with foreskins written on the back. Yep. Wasn't that the Yeah. And he had a big star on the back of his head. Yeah, the first. Scott Kelly hates when I tell this this story, so I'm going to tell this story. But the first time I met Scott Kelly, I think you were with me. We were up because he lived in North County of San Diego. Mm -hmm. And um, we were at, there was another San Diego band called Manifest Destiny who had a couple, we had a 12-inch out on. Mystic. Mystic, yeah. And they were from. North Encinitas. North County, yeah, right. But they're a San Diego punk band that played shows and stuff. And we're at the singer's house. Do you remember that? this were you with us or maybe this is pre you i think it seems pre me i don't remember this yeah maybe it's just i think it was just me and pat and we were up there and that's the first time i met um scott and he walked in and he he had a shaved head he wasn't wearing his leather jacket but he had a shaved head and he was talking about he goes yeah we just started a new band and we're all going oh great man what's it called and he goes skin condition <laughs> This is, not, this is pre-Nazi skinhead, you know? Yeah, it was more of a... And Scott Kelly wasn't, he wasn't a jokester, but it wasn't a joke band. It wasn't like guys pretending to be skinheads, but he, I thought that was the funniest fucking yeah. thing. And well, he still, he, well, also the fact that he had a foreskins jacket. You know, he's into yeah, yeah. the bands with the skin. And he, yeah, and he goes, skin condition. And I just go, that's hilarious. And I still love that. And he... he he gets mad every time I tell that story, <laughs> but I think it's really, really funny. It's like some little one-off comment that I just remember. It's just ingrained in my thought. Yeah, you yeah. Know? Skin can. You know, I have this um, like micro memory that just popped into my mind about the fact that Scott and I and the skater Owen Nieder like yeah, pra- practiced like once or twice as a band. No, because yeah, 
and Scott Mark, Kelly Mark, moved. Mark Mullen. Scott, wow, because Scott Kelly moved to the Bay Area right before I did, or around the same time. We moved up here about the same time. But Scott Kelly did play guitar, and he was friends with Owen, the skateboarder. Who was a, I'm almost certain that he was he was there. And Mark Mullen is the guy that I went to high school with, who drummer who ended up being in the uh, Morlocks, right? Another 60s right, garage from yes. mm-hmm. San Diego. He drummed for them for a long time, but then he also moved up here too, a little yeah. bit after me. And I moved so, up. And what happened to Owen? Did he ever move up? I don't know. <laughs> but oh, I think that was the band that became became perdition was was what it turned into. Or, but I, I don't think I might have practiced with them more than once. And, and I had a, yeah. a PVT sixty guitar that I was like embarrassed because it looked so sh- lame as a punk guitar. You know, was um, it one of those metal like a, ones? No, they're just, it's just kind of a like a light wood guitar. And uh, no, yeah, I don't know guitars, but I mean, it's, it's a it's a quality guitar. I'm sure it's probably like yeah, a vintage yeah. guitar now, but just not at all a cool guitar. But I worried about stuff like that. I was I, I, I was concerned about like I remember you practicing with shitty guitar. Oh, Anita, I don't remember the Scott Kelly thing, but or Mark Mullen, but it all kind of makes sense. But it, that wasn't really Mark Mullen's scene up there, was it? Maybe you know, I, this is this again. Like I said, but, this is a very, very. Oh, Anita was an oh, Anita. Yeah, because he or. Owen Nieder, who is a professional skateboarder, Delmar Skate Ranch local, really, right? Mm-hmm. And he had a mohawk, perfect guy to be the singer for a band called Perdition, right? But you never, did you ever see him at punk shows? Did he come down no. that way? Or no, no, not that I recall. I feel like this practice was like the only time I ever actually hung out with the guy. He's very, very North County, which was far, you know, in those times, kind of far away from where shows were in San Diego. Yeah. But yeah, and Perdition put out a demo tape too. But I do remember you playing with them and go, oh, fuck, Jason's going to be in a band. This is going to be great. But I don't remember the Mark Mullen, Scott Kelly thing, but that it, that totally makes sense, I'm sure, right? I mean, I just don't know why I would pull those names out of like... I think we should get in a long discussion about who drove to practice. Because <laughs> Mark Mullen didn't have a driver's license. I know that. I drove him oh, everywhere. Yeah, he would never had. Uh, yeah, definitely. No, I, don't, I still, I think to this day, he probably doesn't have a driver's license. He's our age. He probably doesn't. I drove that guy everywhere. But yeah, he ended up at my high school the last year. Is that last year? Last two years of high school, he was going there. He was a good dude. Really good dude. Really funny. And he, I just randomly saw him in San Francisco one time on the beach, ocean beach, which is not somewhere anyone goes to, right? I never go to the beach, right? And it's freezing cold. And I was walking on the beach with a friend. We just decided to drive out there and walk out there. And there was Mark Mullen skimboarding. Wow. That's cold water. Freezing cold water. And he's from Southern California. And it's just it's just a different scene up there. But he was skimboarding. God, I can't even remember what year this was. 80 sevens maybe 88 something like that which one was seen mark <laughs> yeah somewhere around there right <laughs> listeners we will in a future episode get back to you about um whether it was 80 we're going to try and get to the bottom of whether this skimboarding yes. mark mullen story <laughs> occurred in in 87 or 88 because you know that, that, those kind of details are the ones that pete kramack really needs to know so anyways but yeah, I mean, anybody listening to this is going to want to know that. Like, that's that's why I'm here. I'm here for those kind of details. Okay, earlier but, you yeah. you were talking. I was I I had a thought I wanted to get to yeah. um, when you were talking about new method and you called them peace punks. 
<laughs> and I was thinking like, that's a thing yeah. that actually is kind of worth dissecting since we're into this minutia that only people who were really there would, would know like, yeah, yeah. like a person who came of age in punk, like say in the nineties or something might see peace punk as being the same as crust punk. Yeah. Yeah. Totally different. Totally different. Crust punk hadn't related, but, but different. Hadn't existed yet. Peace no, punk crust, crust did not exist. It was not and a peace punk weren't, weren't dirty punks yet. They weren't like dirty hippie thing, you know, like right. the dirt thing, you know, like yeah. not taking showers and stuff wasn't really a thing yet. Dreadlocks has started becoming a thing. I mean, peace punk was just kind of the, it's almost a condescending tag for those people. It's like the opposite of war punks, you know, like what? But, but it made, it just spoke to like political, a yeah. lot of mushroom cloud graphics. The, yep. pe- the peace symbol would not be like shunned. No. You know, and, and I kind of think that's in some way, well, sorry. Yeah, I'm just saying in the music wasn't, mellow or anything it was still in the discharge vein you know that kind of don't you think like a lot of i mean it started going a little bit more melodic but there was still like a lot of the it was still hardcore you know and still hardcore punk Mm -hmm. spiky hair and stuff right yeah discharge would have been i mean uh crucifix would have been an early yeah american punk style discharge uh kind of kind of borrowed on the you know aesthetics of crass and that stuff but still had spiky hair and still had all very very hardcore political lyrics and a lot of good people came out of that scene amazing you know i feel like amoebix was kind of the gateway to crust like that seemed sort of like (laughs) i never dove deep into amoebix but did they not take showers like when i think crust i just think dirt i actually think yeah the the rail the rail riders and the the but then you also had like napalm death not yeah. that those guys didn't take showers, but that's where I kind of think crust started happening. I know we're going to get crucified for not knowing our crust history. Well, that's all, but, I mean, yeah, it's all in there. But, but of, peace punk, we, better we, know, than crust. we know our early 80s peace punk things, you know. And again, was it even called peace punk back then? Because there was a lot of those bands in LA. We had, there are a lot of bands up here, you know, okay. in Northern California. Yeah, they were CD all over. It was, it was just a, it was as, as, as punk became, you know, into subgenres like you know in in 84 85 you started seeing these divisions or you know subcategories where you go peace punk band straight edge band you know crust band whatever this the time we're talking about i don't think i don't think we even use that phrase really you know like like diatribe and saint from san diego right yeah we never said oh let's go see this peace punk band Oh, I no, think no. The, well, that's before the, 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 the sectioning started happening. The, uh, yeah, yeah. Because I also think sorting. Peace Punk got a little mellower music-wise, too, some ways. You mm-hmm. know, began, they started doing some acoustic stuff and stuff like that. You know, it was Could throw that a little bit. There. Yeah, but do you remember, remember when uh, we went on the uh, trip with Gary from Diatribe up to the Bay Area? And we stopped yes. to visit the band Iconoclast in Silmar, nor- in the north- northernmost part of Los Angeles. I'm so happy you remember the city. Yeah. So and, and for Pete's sake, Gary drove this time. <laughs> and Gary was the drummer for Diatribe. Right. And um, and we drove in his little pickup truck. Three of us just jammed into a, sh- a shitty little pickup truck. And, we, and this town was right before the Grapevine, right before Magic Mountain, kind of way up there, right? No, I'm Magic Mountain south of Silmar, I think. Is yeah, not, there's nothing north of Silmar, really. That's my impression, at least. I'm not sure. Yeah, it was way. And it, it was like typical LA day. It was like 300 degrees, right? And we go into this place. We were going to stop by. It was Gary. Gary, being in diatribe, was friends with these guys at Conoclast, which were 
they didn't have any, they were really popular, but they didn't have a record out. They just had this amazing interview and flip side. They got so much response and demo. Everyone wanted their demo and they have, they had some good songs out, but they hadn't had any records out yet, but they're really popular. And we go, yeah, let's go. Were they on Pusshead's compilation? No. I don't know. That, That first one? cleanse the bacteria i don't know but they were just they had a demo i remember that interview in Flipside. how an interview in Flipside could make you more popular than a record you oh, know and just everybody was talking about them and they had the logo with the bomb split in half with the white dove flying yeah, out right you know? right but they were you know they were again very punk sounding you know very conflict kind of thing yeah. right english conflict but yeah what do you remember about the building that they well, I remember it as a as a, like a ranch house in kind of a disrepair in a, ran, a California ranch house in disrepair, and that the that the band members lived in a garage. Yes, and that the garage. So I remember it being. I remember it being a warehouse, but that's probably the same thing. But a big empty room. They all well, like lived a two car garage, you know, empty. Yeah, I don't remember cars. the house part, but yeah, I remember this big kind of room that wasn't carpeted. It was like industrial. So it could have yes. been a garage. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I remember there being bunks <laughs> like built on the walls, like it with, you know, like racks of, of bunks and yeah. the guys, I don't remember them getting out of the bunks to say, no, I like just kind of, no, because this, I don't know if those, like, I, I don't know if those were the iconoclast guys, but there was three dudes and they just fit the stereotype of what you think of that shit now is just like three, they are like white guys with dreadlocks, punk, and they just kind of lifted up their heads. I have them in hammocks. That's my memory of just like white rope hammocks that were all kind of dirty and just kind of like swinging and they didn't get out of the hammocks. Yeah. Either they were super stoned or super fucked up on junk or something. But we walked into that room and you and me just looked at each other and we go, what the fuck immediately. And Gary is trying to carry on a conversation with them. Like it was normal. Yeah. And you yeah. and me, this, I immediately do go, so let's get the fuck out of here. This is, it was so <laughs> not it was an a inspiring. Bummer. Yeah. Not inspiring. I, but the thing the, I remember more than anything is that, yes. that they had a, like a net sack of, <laughs> their, their food suspended fruits and vegetables suspended right? from the center of the room like <laughs> a big testicle sack hanging down in the center of the room and I, I i would assume it was like an attempt to keep ants from attacking the yes. the food but what it ended up doing was drawing because you know ants aren't discouraged by anything, you know, and uh, yeah, they have, yeah. you know, millions of years of evolution and all the energy in the world. <laughs> so the ants formed these like freeways of ants going up the walls and over across the ceiling. I'm picturing like, you know, tra- multiple trails of ants from many directions, oh, all getting yes. to this sack of food and then just swarming the sack of food. Yeah. So it was and like guys a, had- a moving test, huge testicle of food and ants in the center of yeah. And you didn't know as ants at first, you're going, why is it moving? Why is it all black? And then you look at it and it's just so many ants. Swarming. So their whole little plan. Yeah. And obviously they hadn't been out of those hammocks, those dirty hippie hammocks for days. Cause they didn't see that their whole plan wasn't working. And there was just ants everywhere, not a couple ants, but like thick trails. Like you see on the nature, nature yeah. shows. Yeah. Like know? Brazilian There's, army ants type of thing. And just I think we had to get Gary. Yeah. Gary was just kind of not that maybe he was a little oblivious to it. He just didn't notice. He goes, no, let's just hang. And you and me were just going, no, let's get out of here. Let's go. <laughs> like, let's let's go. Just get on the road. I don't want to chill with these guys. 
No, I didn't want to hang oh, and do hey. a long rip with these guys. Yeah. Just like, hey. But yeah, I remember just their heads are kind of, they didn't stand up. They didn't say hello and just their heads just kind of lifted up. And that's, Incredibly that's when, depressing. that's when punk became hippie right there in that garage for me. That <laughs> just was like, the oh. moment where you just felt that. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> Let's get out of here. But yeah, those road trips up to Bay area. That was amazing. I remember my first time coming to going to San Francisco and I was thinking about this the other day, how um, if I wouldn't have done this trip, I might not have ever moved up here. So this was this was before the trip we just talked about. I don't know, like, was it a week before or a year before? I don't remember, but something like that, you know? Yeah. But it was Bones from the band CIA from Connecticut, his friend Jeff and Bones' girlfriend Elaine came out to a West Coast, came out to the West Coast to kind of visit people just one summer. And they just said, hey, we're going up to Max Marconi. Why don't you just jump in the car and come with us and just fly back? And I just said, oh, okay. I was, let's do it. But I would just, Bones to this day still thinks that he apologizes for taking me to, on that trip. He goes, I just feel like I ruined your life. Like everything was going so good for you in San Diego. Then you, I, I brought you up there. Then you just moved there. And I just like, I feel really responsible for that. <laughs> to this day, he still has guilt about me coming up there and ruining my life, which I don't think I really ruined my life, but he, well, it's kind of a damning indictment of your life, you know, (laughs) like like that it was ruined. Like me, he doesn't really know what's going on in my life too much, but it's kind of a funny joke. Like, yeah, sorry about that, man. You know, it was a fun road trip though. You know, nothing bad happened, you know, but (laughs) except you were exposed to the Bay area and and move from Southern California, Bay area. Like, I don't know how soon afterwards, but yeah, that was the first thing, but yeah, because we had never drove up to the Bay Area to see shows like me, you, and Pat, Greg, or our little crew. We never really thought about it, even though we knew about all the bands from Maximum Rock and Roll Comp and stuff and knew about the scene from fanzines and stuff. But we had never planned on driving all the way up here because it seemed like really far. Yeah, and it then, was. I mean, beyond L.A., it's like, what, six hours? Yeah. yeah and and yeah, yeah, and L.A. is such a rich place to to go see shows. It's like, what's the inspiration yeah. to keep going? And, even driving from San Diego to LA, you know, we, at least me and we had jobs. We just couldn't go every single weekend. You know, I knew that. And we were kind of had to be kind of selective about what shows we drove up there to see, you know, because we had, I think Pat had to lie to his mom every single time or something like that, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Right. I'm going to my girlfriend's house. (laughs) Yeah. Every single time. So we couldn't go see every single show. So going all the way up there, but then that started our Bay Area trips after that. We went up there all the time. It just was because we also had a place to stay. Yeah, that was when MRR was still in Berkeley. Or I think technically Oakland. Oakland. Yeah, yeah, yeah. At that funny little house that's still there that my friend Dave Fenton lives right nearby. So, yeah, it's still still there. Crazy. I have good memories of going there. I, I enjoyed that. It was, yeah. it was so cool just to go. Yeah, it was a cool house. Up there, yeah. And, Jeff Bale lived with Tim and um, what was the woman that lived with him? Erica? Didn't that sound right? Red hair? Yeah, red hair. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, red hair and glasses. Very very normal looking, just kind of looked like a Berkeley student. Yeah. Super super straight. But then she and her sister lived in the new Maxim House when they moved over to Clipper Street. They both moved in. It was me, Tim, and the two sisters upstairs. The first time I ever met Pusshead was going to early Maximum Rock and Roll house. Yeah. Yep. He lived. Yeah, there. he was. He stayed on the couch. 
Yeah, that's right. He lived on the couch. He lived on the couch for like a year and a half or something like that, you know? Because he had, I don't remember when that happened. It seemed like everybody had moved to the Barrier at a certain time. But he had, he was staying there and he's working at Systematic Distribution, which was a punk record distributor. He was working there and also doing his thing at Thrasher Magazine. He'd started writing a column and probably doing some work over there for them because he was doing graphics and stuff. Yeah. Does that sound about right? Yeah. That sounds right. When I first, I drew, I, I spent a couple afternoons with him drawing and he gave me a lot of pointers. Yeah. What was that like? That was great. You know, I mean, Pusshead was like, you know, one of the main good, punk artists, you know, and yeah, very and he, talented and, and just it, for me, it was really cool. Cause I mean, I had, you know, seen his stuff since like I first bought like wasted youth album and stuff, you know, it was, yeah. he went way back. He's, he was, he's one of the masters of punk art and uh, yeah. And, and a couple of things he taught me, I remember really made an impact. Like the, he, I remember he told me, you know, when you want a car- a figure in your drawing to stand out, do an extra thick border line around that figure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I I did that. I, I was looking at a broken bones flyer the other day, and I noticed that uh, the skeleton in the the skeleton. This is a broken bones, the band Broken Bones, a flyer from San Diego. Oh, maybe I'll post that with this podcast. That's a good flyer. You should post that one. Yeah. It's a good one, and uh, yeah. it's funny though because it's the it's broken bones, and then the the, the <laughs> image is of a skeleton holding a sledgehammer, smashing bones. So it's like, like it. broken like it. bones. You get it like you nailed the concept not really doing a, a high concept it's very straightforward <laughs> you got it broken bones <laughs> <laughs> so anyways but like i noticed that that skeleton has a strong thick outline around him and i think that that was after one of those trips up to the obviously drawing with so them. obviously in the timeline the the broken bones flyer comes after meeting puss head in in the first maximum at the first maximum i can't say for sure though because the broken bones flyer was from 85 so i don't know if that was too early who drove to the boat broken bones show do you remember (laughs) i'm gonna say it was you (laughs) yeah yeah um yeah and yeah pushead was that's when we met i remember doing a we did a the mike who was in the band septic death Oh, the yeah, bass player was living there too, right? Yeah, yeah, that's right. The guy with the he, or he was, yeah, we were friends with him. I don't know if he was staying there, but he came out and hung out with us a bunch because Pusshead was always gone. He was always working. He wasn't around that much. He was at there at night and stuff. Right. But that other dude, I think his name was Mike, right? Yeah, Mike with blonde hair and he had like the open yeah. shorts and very nice. Yeah, guy. kind of a surfer skater guy from also I think he was from Boise too, right? Yeah. He mm-hmm. was he's in Septic Death and he came out. He was a super good dude. Yeah. And then did an interview with him for Leading Edge as Septic Death. Even though Septic Death didn't really play or anything. But yeah. Remember when got- you wrote your Maximum Rock and Roll Top 10 <laughs> and you added <laughs> the- in a fake uh, Septic Death record? Yeah, yeah. To make fun of Potshead's obscure <laughs> record collecting? Yeah, because Pusshead in his, as people might remember, Pusshead had a top 10 in Maximum, and he always put the most obscure stuff, which I'm sure he had because, you know, Pusshead had everything, but it was like a a flexi from Japan where there was only five made, and it was always in his top thing. And it kind of, not that he was purposely doing, but kind of added to the record collector thing that was going on at that time of people trying to find punk records that other people had. And I wasn't a record collector at all, and I didn't really take the top 10 seriously at all. And obviously, I had no problem doing being kind of a smart ass, and I pissed Puss off, 
puss head off so bad. He got so mad at me because I just put in this one little fake record, which I don't think people had done yet. And I, I just said, oh, yeah, put a fake records in there. Let's do it. So I put a fake septic death. I think it was a double 10 inch on plaid vinyl. And I thought the plaid vinyl was going to save me from ridicule from Pusshead. Like people knew it was a joke and what I was making fun of. Yeah, yeah. But completely backfired on me. Like so many Max Rock and Roll jokes because you forget that it's just in print forever. Like when, yeah. you're, when you're there doing the jokes, like me and Tim would do a lot of jokes and, and we put them in print, but you just forget that it's like a face tattoo. It's there forever, you know? <laughs> and Pusshead called me up or he was at the Maxim house that night and he goes, dude, I'm going to have to be answering letters about that record for the rest of my fucking life. Thanks a lot. <laughs> he was genuinely mad at you about it. He was so mad. And you know what? He probably still answering letters. <laughs> right yeah. Now. Somebody finds that. Oh man, I never saw that. The double. But we, we, tennis. we made up. That was, a, that was 1985 or yeah, probably 1985, but no, I have a lot of love for Brian Schroeder. He's a good dude, but yeah, yeah, absolutely. Didn't mean to piss him off. I thought he would laugh, but, he didn't really laugh about that one. Yeah. Because he was probably answering a lot of mail from Japanese kids wanting that double 12 inch, 10 inch plaid vinyl. Really? <laughs> Speaking of uh, maximum rock and roll and all things, since we've made, you know, that's where this is. Yeah. Heading, I was thinking yeah. about a posting very soon, maybe with this uh, podcast, the, um, that photo you sent me from the, the that is one of the photos included on the back of the not so quiet on the Western front. LP. Oh yeah. Describe that photo because, and um, it's, it's one of three, I believe black and white photos on the back of the um, very influential, at least in my life, not so quiet yeah. on the Western front, double LP yep. compilation. Um, and it's the one with like, I mean, the the first thing is, comp. I guess one of the things I want to mention is like, you know, back then records, you just study yeah. every inch of yeah, them and yeah, you'd read yeah, every word yeah. and you'd look at every like credit and every thank you list and, you know, kind of take like stock of what they are. And, and I remember like that record, you know, that came out in what, like 82 and, mm-hmm. and it was such a dense record information wise, you know, and, and it came with the first yeah. Max Rock and Roll episode issue. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, and Amazing so it was that so it was at an age where I was really studying things, and I remember like yeah, just looking at those those group that those group shots, and this is the particular one that I would describe as like, uh, you know, it has like the really muscular looking bald guy wearing a uh, tank top, and then there's a guy wearing like a Christmas looking sweater, you know, there's a guy whose head <laughs> yeah, looks really yeah. distorted it's and a kind crowd of scene. It's like a, a crowd slam scene pit. slamming. Like- yeah. And then, and then right? I believe there's a figure in the middle with plaid pants and boots that is John Macias from Circle One. That's, that's what we all, because no one looks like, or no one looked like John in those days, right? Very unique look. Yes. And, he and he's was, in the middle of the pit, and the pit's kind of middle of the pit. Him. And he's always wore plaid pants with combat boots, you know, and he's eight feet tall, muscular. Yeah. And, but, you know, Circle One was an LA band, but we're trying to. Th- I was thinking that they did come up here and play and they played like, what were those Wes Robinson shows day of the uh, Eastern uh, front, Eastern front shows. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Not day on the dirt, Eastern front shows and circle one played though, played one of those shows and that could be where the shot was must be where it was from. Cause it looks just like them, but yes. And weird thing about that photo is my house burned down in 92. So I lost everything. 
but I still have some photos and I don't know where they came from. And for some reason, that actual photo that was used on the back of the Max Macronel compilation album, it's, it's cropped. It's already cut. So you can tell it's yeah. from the actual layout the, or before it yeah. got... The Before it got statted for the you know halftone for the layout, so it was it's a little weirdly cropped small thing, and I had that in with my weird little leftover photos from the fire, and I never I don't really I didn't never really kept Max Markinall photos at all from the files or anything like band stuff. Yeah, but that's one that was in there, and I just found that a couple of weeks ago. Right? <laughs> How crazy Amazing. is that? And now it's in my possession and I'm yeah. just thrilled to own it. I really would like to get that framed because it is it a, is. it's an amazing artifact that I like. Yeah. If you had yeah. told me as a child in 1982, like you will own that actual photo <laughs> from the back of this album that, you know, I mean, it's that not album, even a great photo. It just has so much information for people like us. And back then when you studied everything, you studied every crowd photo you could get a hold of because you wanted to see how people dressed, how they were moving, what bands they liked, what bands were written on their shirts, you know, and what patches they had. Oh, you it, know? It was, yeah, it was such a deep experience. Like, I mean, one thing I remember so strongly was I had all these fantasies of empowerment when I was like, a because I, I got, you know, I started going to shows when I was 13 and I got into punk when I was 12. And like in Tacoma, you know, it was very dangerous, quote, you know, you, like your life wasn't necessarily in jeopardy, but, you know, you could get beat up, you could get punched, chased by rockers and, and you know, yeah. and it was just, you know, that's the way it was back then. And, and being so little and not having any people, you know, any like protection. I remember so much looking at photos like that one and just fantasizing about like having that one bald guy with the big muscles and the tank top. John is your bodyguard at school. John Macias, just in my scene where I could be like, John, there's these guys messing with me. Come get them. You know, I just was thinking like, God, it would be so cool to have that guy. I remember doing the same thing with DOA, like looking at like, uh, you know, something better change album or something. And, and just going like, God, I wish I, Joey shit had lived here. And, you know, yeah, I know. Could, like, could defend me from all these like huge rocker guys. It was like my weird little fantasy of empowerment. But I remember <laughs> specifically not John Macias, oh. but that, but that one bald, muscular-looking guy in the front. I was like, God, I wish that yeah. dude. I wish that yeah, dude lived here. Whenever you see those giant guys in a fanzine in a crowd shot, and you see how the giant bald guys are just like, God, I want to be friends with those dudes. Like those guys are good. Yeah, I wish they were here to say that'd be good. You should post that photo just to see people's reactions to see if they have as much of a connection to it as. You and me, I'm sure, you know, from, you know, our, you know, that well, everybody studied, studied records the way we did. Yeah. Know? Yeah. Information was so yeah. scarce back then and punk information, yeah. you know, obviously it's just like incredibly rare. And so any little fragment you got, you just. But how did that photo get into my collection is a crazy thing. I right? don't know. So random, you know, so now, so random. now it's yours. So now you have it. <laughs> I am honored to be the steward of it for. However, you know, you know, it's another funny thing I was thinking about just now is about studying things. And this I'll go back a little bit. It's just the, the, another story about Pusshead is remember when Pusshead before early on Pusshead, when he was just doing flyers, he did the BYO cover. He did, you know, like you'd see his artwork and touch and go and stuff. Right. Yeah. Do you remember he always hid his girlfriend or was it his wife or girlfriend? I'm going to say girlfriend, Annie's name in her, in the drawings. Right. Yeah. It was a secret not, hidden. Not thing. some yeah. of them were more hidden than others, but every time you'd find a new pusset drawing, which you'd get a new fanzine. Yeah. Or you see a new ad or a new flyer someone would send you, you look for it. Right. And look that, for Annie. Yeah. 
Yeah, until like 83 or 84, I think probably when they broke up or something. But that was always an amazing thing. I was always curious, like, where did we learn to look for Annie in Pusshead drawings on flyers and stuff? Maybe like, we just found it a couple of times and it was, you know, it wasn't like it. Because you didn't read many interviews yeah, with him. Maybe, no, no, not at all. Not, but not back then. Um, but he must have said somewhere, like, I put her name everywhere or something like that or something. But yeah, it was just know, kind of Pusshead, a thing. Pusshead was a hopeless romantic. <laughs> Still is to this day. <laughs> one of, that the, was one of the great lovers of punk. Yeah, always will be remembered as that. But, um, but yeah, just another weird thing of that's even more abstract of as you know studying crowd shots that you'd see in fanzines or in record coverage, but studying pusshead things to find his girlfriend's name hidden in the drawings. You know, again, these were really early on pusshead stuff. You know. Yeah, but, now uh, I, I want to go back and find a few of them, and and I did. I actually did it. <laughs> you did? Oh, you should send me yeah. your shots, and I'll do. A, I'll do a post about uh, the puss yeah, Annie. The puss <laughs> yeah. Annie. It's like his. You know, like like Hitchcock used to appear in each movie. You know, that's uh, exactly how I see it. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I thought it was hidden. a good idea, and it's also punk couples, punk power couples. You know. Yeah. Right. And that's so. You know what? The other thing they were kind of a. Maybe they were kind of a team. Maybe she did drawing too. Maybe she inked his drawings or something like that. Because in the Flipside comic issue, he was on the cover of that. He was part of that whole thing. I mean, remember we were talking about that with um, uh, Sean Carey, right? The Flipside comic issue. And then Pusset is there in there. Pusset and Annie are both in the photo. She's pu- uh, squeezing his head like it's a pot. Uh, like oh, a, pimple. a pus head. It, yeah, they were kind of doing that thing. It's kind but, of like yeah, my broken Annie's bones thing. Just very straightforward. <laughs> pus head. Very straightforward to the point. You got to respect the honesty of it. Head. We don't have time for bullshit. Just get right to it right <laughs> there. <laughs> but yeah, maybe yeah. they were more of a thing, you know, like she helped them with the drawings or something. I don't know. But yeah. Where is she now? Don't know. Don't know. I just saw Puss Head on Instagram two days ago, which was pretty amazing because I haven't seen the dude in a long time. He still lives in San Francisco, but he was being interviewed by Shepard Ferry about a art show, an online art show, big, huge group thing that was just there. Same old thing. I mean, he's granted he's wearing a face mask and sunglasses and hat and all that stuff, but same Brian, like 20 feet tall. Same old eyes. (laughs) (laughs) No, Brian, I miss, I miss talking to that dude. He was, he was very enthusiastic. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, I, it meant a lot to me back then. I mean, I did a post about it, you know, how much like him invited me to be in the max. That's right. That's right. He did issue, And yeah, it's just like, he's a, he's a legend. Forgot about about that art issue. That'd be something to look at. I I don't remember that. I have no recollection of what I I have that in my, I have that. I have that issue. I want to see it. I want to see what issue it is and I'll find it for you. Okay. I have the first issues. Let's wrap it up there. Is that it? I think that was good. Okay. And no, but you're talking to Greg Lippman next, right? That's right. I'm going to talk to Greg Lippman. Greg Lippman being kind of the, uh, you might call him like the fourth musketeer of the leading edge crew. Yeah, like very you, much so. You, Pat, Pat and I, um, you and Pat, then I joined, and then Greg. And Greg yep. was someone we met. Well, we'll find out how we met him. I, I, I don't remember yeah. exactly, but... Yeah, hopefully he'll remember the details. But he lived in San Diego, but we met him after we had started, or at least did the first issue of Leading Edge. Yeah, maybe the first one. 
because we hadn't really met like-minded people, you know, like kids that into skateboarding and dressed like we did and liked hardcore and didn't shoot speed. That was the main thing. Do you shoot speed? No, you don't. Oh, good. Let's hang out. Yeah. maybe. We'll, yeah. That's <laughs> or as I know, Greg Lipman wasn't shooting speed when he was in high school. That's <laughs> so the definition of, yeah, our San Diego punk scene versus the slow death. <laughs> The slow death yeah. punk scene. Yeah, that's gonna um, be good. Yeah, that'll be, be really good. So then we'll we'll expand on that afterwards. But yeah, I'm looking forward to hearing Greg Lipman's stories or his memory, how good his memory is or isn't. Yeah, we'll see. Good. All right. All right, look talk to you soon. All right, see ya. Bye. God damn my arm hurt me so bad. Lord knows my legs feel like Ran a thousand miles Say I got a little crazy Kinda took a little dive Lord knows my neck Just can't stop the pain Say it happened like this now Stays out and skanking back was thrashing through an untold mess A skinhead guy just turned me on Slam dance, baby